Hi, folks. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining. Um, as, as Devin intro, um, this panel is on the developing and managing of cybersecurity policies uh, for in-house. Um, so we have three panelists uh, with us today. We have John Clark, uh, Assistant General Counsel for uh, Schneider Electric USA, Inc., uh, Pat Ford, Chief Information Security Officer um, from North America uh, for Schneider Electric USA, Inc., as well as Isiar Garcia, uh, Assist Assistant General Counsel uh, for Fenway Sports Group. Um, so I'll just give each uh, panelist a, a brief minute to introduce themselves um, and, and speak a little bit about what they do. Um, John, I'll start with you. Sure. Thank you, Jesse. And, and hi, everyone. Uh, hopefully everyone can hear me well. Um, John Clark, uh, Assistant General Counsel at Schneider Electric, as, as Jesse mentioned. Um, Schneider Electric is a uh, global industrial automation and energy management company. Um, my role is supporting general cybersecurity topics from the legal perspective, um, you know, for both our internal enterprise IT uh, and customer facing issues um, globally, primarily uh, incident response strategy policy. Um, as a you know general general point of contact from there we have other other uh, support functions that branch off Pat? sure thanks john and thank you jesse for the opportunity to be here today uh, i work as you might imagine as, as john described pretty closely with john uh, but i'm the chief information security officer for the americas region uh, i've been with schneider for about almost eight years i'm resp responsible for all customer engagement uh, and the security profile for Schneider Electric for North and South America, actually. I do M&A globally, uh, so work a lot with our integrated and non-integrated entities that, that, that are in our security ecosystem, and there are about 30 of those that aren't integrated with Schneider Electric that are subsidiaries. Uh, but uh, work closely with our customers when they have security concerns and contracts around security, so that's where I engage a lot with John, as well as our vendors. So, but uh, happy to be here and look forward to the discussion and, and any questions from the audience. Yes, sir. Um, hi, everyone. And Jesse, again, thanks for having me join this party. Um, I'm Sierra Garcia. I'm Associate General Counsel at Fenway Sports Group Boston. Um, I focus mostly on the organization's corporate commercial transactions and acquisitions. Um, across all of FSG properties, which include the Red Sox, Liverpool, the Penguins now, the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, our local RSN, Nessen, which is both linear um, cable product as well as digital streaming product, um, including entertainment and real estate ventures. We do a variety of work. Um, I joined FSG in 2016. Prior to that, I was at several different law firms in New York and in Boston. Um, and over the last couple of years, I've become more involved in our data security operations. Um, so yeah, happy to happy to be here. Thanks for having me, and it should be a good discussion. Um, and again, I'm Jesse Taylor. I'm an associate at Morgan Lewis in their tech transactions, outsourcing, and commercial contracts group, um, supporting um, clients such as Fenway Sports Group, um, and formerly um, worked at Schneider Electric. Um, so have good deal experience working in-house and kind of dealing with some of the issues that um, all three of our panelists are, are familiar with. Um, before we jump into um, the meat of the, of the segment, I just wanted to, as a bit of housekeeping, let everyone know that if you have questions that come up uh, during this conversation, please feel free to enter them into the chat function and we will try to thread them in and answer them 
um, as we can. Um, this is a smaller group today, so we're hoping that we can make this as much of a um, collaborative and sub substantive discussion for you guys as, as possible. So thank you again for, for joining today. So with that, I'll kick it off um, talking kind of holistically about the cybersecurity landscape as it exists today on an in-house environment. And, and Pat, I wanted to turn it over to you to, uh, first to give us an overview of you know, corporate concerns um, and trends and, and how to respond to them. And then secondly, you know, the programs, policies, and stakeholders for companies to consider uh, when addressing and managing uh, emerging, emerging risk and high base risk. Sure. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, so look, the, the concerns are, are, are many and the trends are, are really uh, focused towards external threats, uh, whether that's uh, third party who we're, who we're doing business with, uh, upstream or downstream, uh, and or the actors, the threat actors, uh, whether it's a state-sponsored uh, event, whether it's you're seeing a lot more uh, attacks for for financial gains. You know, obviously ransomware is always on the top of everybody's mind, but you don't have to be a victim of ransomware to have to be to be to receive a ransom note. Uh, you know, sometimes they do have data exfiltration. Uh, and uh, and they they threaten to post it. You know when you're when you're a victim of ransomware, you you have like five events that could that actually could occur from that. You know, loss of your network, your data being exposed, your 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 litigation if your customers' data becomes exposed, and 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 the brand and reputational aspects of that. So the external threats are are, are real and they're growing. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be. State sponsored. It's just the criminal act organizations are getting stronger, uh, and and they're becoming, you know, uh, much more uh, creative. I'll leave it at that. They they adapt faster than we do, and they always will. Um, and there's some new features coming out. You saw some features regarding chat and how that works for phishing. Uh, that that to me is a big concern because the phishing emails are going to become much more targeted much more uh, sophisticated and harder to detect because of the, you know, it used to be you saw broken English and 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 you knew, okay, gee, there's, there could be something up here. Uh, that's not gonna happen. The, the, the uh, artificial intelligence around chat is changing the game. And you're gonna see this year in particular, phishing emails that are highly, highly hard to define and highly uh, successful at targeting individuals. So I'd, I'd say that's, that, that's one. Uh, and of course, our vendors, you know, our third party risk with our vendors that they, that can uh, impact uh, the parent companies or, or, or the companies like Schneider. Uh, the vendor risk is huge, especially if they have access to your networks. So the security terms uh, that you enter into with them uh, and the contracts are vital. And, and the, being able to validate is, is extremely, extremely important. But from a high level, you know, those those would be my my, you know, 2023, 20, you know, risk and concerns that I have on the trends. Got it. And John, I'm, I'm going to look to you. How do you, as an in-house counsel, how do you support um, the business, um, someone like Pat and his role, and how do you provide value to, to him and what he does? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an area where I've sort of come to understand and describe it to folks as, you know, potentially our, our biggest risk in cybersecurity sort of generally both to ourselves and to our customers at this point, you know, it's where we sort of hold potentially the most liability and most, um, 
you know, potential, potential risk that is widespread. So, um, you know, trying to stay at top, um, abreast of, of all of these, all these different facets of what the concerns are, right. I mean, there's contractual concerns, both for what we might see receive from customers, also what we might have put out there in the past, um, you know, that might need to be updated. There's pending legislation, new legislation coming, you know, very frequently, constantly, it's particularly for a company like, uh, Schneider Electric that's operating on a global scale. We're in, you know, most countries, 140,000 employees. I mean, that impacts us. Um, you know, the potential cybersecurity legislation uh, pending, past, future, et cetera, really uh, poses a significant, um, I guess, perhaps obstacle is, is the best word, but um, but, but something to be certainly, uh, really cognizant of, and how do we, how do we manage that? How do we manage that risk? Um, so, you know, it, I, I guess one thing, um, you know, is, is how do you, how do you manage this and, and support the business? It, it, it's going to depend, I think a little bit on what your company looks like, what your risk profile looks like, what you're selling, what you're buying, that kind of thing. But, um, using the example of, of, of Schneider, right? It's really a holistic and uh, cross-functional collaborative uh, endeavor, I guess, is the, is the best way to say it. I mean, from a legal perspective, we can be uh, advised and be on top of, of, of pending legislation, but, um, you know, really need to look to the business and, and various stakeholders that have the technical knowledge of what, you know, what really are, are the particular risks that we need to be aware of? How do we mitigate those? And sort of, Again, to I'll repeat myself, I'm sure a few times with this, but this cross-functional collaboration, right? Because ultimately, the lawyer can sort of opine on on you know the law or potential risk in a contract, but we can we can write sort of you know anything, disclaim as much liability as as possible, or you know take on liability in certain cases. But we need to understand exactly what those those risks are. So um, that really comes from this this uh, this very close sort of holistic. Um, collaboration with the various stakeholders, someone like Pat, right, who's, a, who's highly um, knowledgeable of, you know, threat actors, threats, you know, how these threats are, uh, you know, potentially going to impact you, um, what we need to be doing as a company, what we should be doing, right? So um, working really closely with those stakeholders uh, is is sort of something that, um, you know, and, and for example, at, at Schneider Electric, um, you know, my role didn't even exist a few years ago, right? As this becomes the biggest risk, the biggest area of potential liability, um, having sort of a dedicated counsel, uh, and, and I'm not the only one, we also have IP counsel who's, who's you know, r- relative to potential um, bad actors trying to steal IP. Uh, we also have data protection counsel because that's a little, a little bit of a different area, but obviously all intertwined. Um, so this, this level of collaboration is really necessary um, to, to sort of manage and stay on top of this risk, uh, risk being very generalized uh, risk, cybersecurity risk, um, and, and sort of really, really uh, close collaboration. It's your kind of building off of what John said, where he obviously his role is something that's been developed in the last couple of years, whereas you've kind of had to work working in a much smaller um, legal group, although albeit, you know, a very, um, very well known group, you have to wear a number of different hats. How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you find that? How do you manage that balance? Um, I think 
We, we are definitely a, a more sort of streamlined group here at FSG. Um, and I think at least my role in this space has developed just, again, it's just responding to a need, right? Like this is becoming more of an issue. We're dealing with, with these questions more on, on a daily basis. And I think the trick really was it's knowing the business, right? It's knowing, knowing your organization well and knowing where the risks lie in order to do that, right? Because again, I'm a commercial lawyer. <laughs> um, it's reaching out and working very closely with all of our business teams. A lot of it, obviously, with our IT group, who is at the forefront of this constantly. And I feel like um, a lot of what I do sometimes, sometimes can feel like traffic cop, but it's liaising really with people who are on the front lines with our executive management and our owners as well to make sure that they understand um, what's going on and keeping it a priority as well on, on their radar. Um, and also working with outside counsel, right? Our, our specialists um, who help, help us manage, um, you know, keep us abreast of what they're seeing, what, what we should be doing, where, you know, where we can improve our, our practices and our protocols. I do think the main concern for our organization, our legal team over the last couple of years has been like, how do we respond, <laughs> right? And I feel like that's still always the goal. Like, how, how do we respond? How are we responding when there's a threat in anticipation of a threat? Because there will be, it's what you said. I mean, these phishing emails are getting more and more sophisticated and you know they're coming and it's sort of preparing for that as well. So, but when we think of, data and data security, at least in my day-to-day -day practice, it's really, it's like those three buckets, but they're all interconnected, right? It's our data privacy, data retention, data security, or cybersecurity. In order for us to have the sort of robust data security program, we also need to have strong data privacy and data retention practices, right? So for a smaller organization too, this you know, the, 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 the heartburn comes with the fact that you have to allocate resources to these things, right? This costs money. Um, and for that, it's, it's resources to obtain the right technology um, and also resources to obtain and retain talent, right? Because you, you need this to support a compliance regime, mitigation practices, training and monitoring. I mean, we're constantly training our, our teams in different ways too, right? You can't just have the static sort of training protocol because the vulnerabilities aren't the same across all of your functional groups. Um, and I am thinking of, of executive management as well, which just does tend to be a, a pretty big vulnerability, right? So, um, and then finally, and, and I one could say most importantly, but I actually don't think this is the most important. It's just the necessary part. It's incident response. And so how do you develop this incident response plan, this incident response team, making sure that the right people are present, can react quickly, communicate quickly, and then bringing in your specialists and your and your different stakeholders as needed to address uh, to address the incident quickly, efficiently. Hopefully, move on to the next incident. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So you know. I think what's really fascinating about everything that's particularly in the last few years is that this has just garnered more and more attention, you know, within all of these organizations. And, you know, I, I think John Innes here, you, you both really hit on it, you know, for in-house attorneys, having that institutional knowledge 
of, of knowing the business and being there as, as particularly both FSG and Schneider continue to grow and integrate other businesses into the fold via the M&A space. I think that that obviously plays a big role, having that knowledge and, and that backstop. How do you manage, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll open this up to the panel for anyone to jump in, how do you manage bringing in a... Um, entity via an M&A transaction that maybe has their own set of policies? And, and then how do you kind of try to layer in there, layer in yours to theirs? I'll jump in quickly, Jesse, on that. Um, but I, I might defer just as quickly to, to Pat, um, which is which is diligence, right? Uh, there's a level of diligence required um, in the cybersecurity front, just like there is in any other part of it, you know, an M&A transaction. Um, but sort of getting ahead of that, and and Pat, I might ask you to to jump in because you've had more work uh, or more experience, excuse me, um, at an earlier stage with that type of uh, diligence, but making sure that you know it's cybersecurity posture, sophistication. Um, you know, risk profile, past incident, all of that stuff uh, for potentially their acquisition, um, I guess in this case would largely be an acquisition that we'd be talking about, um, has been, you know, thoroughly sort of analyzed. And then, of course, there'll be subsequent to a potential acquisition, um, you know, integration phase, uh, which, you know, in that case, uh, I wish there was an easy answer. There, there really isn't um, in terms of how you integrate, I think, you know, in any in any situation, right, just not necessarily the cybersecurity uh, aspect, but just bringing a, a new entity into various systems. And then from a legal perspective, obviously, you're talking about, you know, compliance obligations, contractual, uh, existing contractual obligations, you know, potentially uh, implementing new or, you know, with the acquiring companies, um, uh, policies and contractual, uh, requirements and, um, various, uh, uh, you know, rules that may be in place, corporate rules and standards applicable to contracts. So there's always going to be that integration difficulty, but I, I think the, um, one of the biggest, uh, you know, advantages is getting ahead of the cybersecurity, you know, risk profile in the diligence phase. And on that, I, you know, Pat, I don't know if you have any thoughts on yeah. that front. No, I'd love to. I look, I've been doing due diligence on MA the whole time I've been here at Schneider, seven years. It's evolved. Uh, you know, due diligence is, is I'd love to be as involved and get really into it when you're in due diligence phase, when you're talking about security. But quite frankly, security is not the key to due diligence phase. It's it's an aspect to it. You got all your other the businesses and, and legal and everybody else is involved. You know, only more recently has security become more or less an option for a no vote, or if, if not an if not a no vote, a pause vote, and and that maybe we need to do some things before we actually close this deal, and maybe we need to get a little more information before we actually close this deal, uh, and it wasn't like that in the beginning. Look, seven eight years ago, security was not top of mind of the board, it wasn't top of mind of the business leaders. Now it is. Uh, <clears throat> so during the due diligence phase, I look at one thing. And one thing only, because you don't get much time. You don't get to go in there and do pen testing and scanning the network. Uh, so I look at the culture. I look at the security culture around the company. Do they have policies? Are the policies updated? Do they have a security leader? And does that security leader actually make an impact to the company? Are they reporting to the board? Do they do they follow a security practice, you know, a framework? So I can tell after about 10 minutes of talking to the person who's going to be, I'm going to be interviewing uh, from the security aspect, whether or not 
they're good or they're not. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of in between. Uh, so that that's during the due diligence phase. And now I, I start planning my post-close activities. Uh, once, once, you know, I, I give the, and more recently what I've, what I've found is uh, they want to see an improvement and, and more opening of the kimono. If, if, if for some reason, uh, you, you know, I, I have concerns, I'm able to pause, but they're able to pause it a little bit uh, and take a deeper look, uh, maybe push off the closing. Uh, so that that's been successful, I think, on our side. And it's but look, it's a partnership. We're not there to we're not there to to criticize them. We want to once we make this deal happen, it's it's a matter of maturing, understanding where they're at and get and where whether where their real risks lie protecting those risks and helping them to mature as a total program and becoming a partner in that, whether they're going to be integrated or, or standalone, uh, standalone, you know, they, I'm not going to switch out all their gear. I'm not going to change their, I'm going to, but I'm going to ensure that the policies that they have at least align to Schneider electric or the parent company, they can have their own policies because they have their own network, they have their own controls. Everything is a little different. Um, Generally speaking, that's how we do it. Uh, but uh, you want to make sure they align and and that the culture improves uh, to 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 match our you know our the parent company. And here, what I do is post close. I mentioned we have about thirty companies that aren't integrated with Schneider Electric. I work with each one of those companies globally in a community of shared of shared you know to share share risk, share the emerging threats. And uh, just to talk about security and, and enable, uh, you know, enable them if they need endpoint professional, you know, because a lot of them, are, you know, look, most of them, nine, they're all smaller than Schneider Electric. You know, some of them have 20 people and some of them have 500 or 2000 people, different levels of maturity. So I help them identify subject matter experts within the company, identify contracts. You know, in other words, we, we, we get good contract terms. Uh, we make it pricing wise and, and even contract language, you know, that, that they that they need to include about security and in in, whether it's dealing with a customer or dealing with it with a vendor. We want security terms and we'll get to this. I'm sure. But we want security terms in those contracts so that everybody understands, you know, to get back what Icarus said is when they have an incident, we want to know who they're going to call. We want to know who we're going to call. If we have an incident. So. Uh, security terms and contracts are vital. That's John. John spends a lot of time on this with me. Uh, so again, it, I love M and A, um, and uh, I, but you, you need to start early on in the due diligence process. But to me, you're not going to get that chance in the due diligence phase to really get in there like you'd like to. You know, everybody wants to strut around like a peacock during the during the uh, you know every company you look at is a peacock. They're they're showing their best their best feathers possible. But uh, when you get in there and just talking about culture, that's that's really where where you can really figure out what you're dealing with. Great, that's great. And you know, kind of playing off that, you know, Israel, I'll, I'll turn to you to start. You know, when it comes to the development of those cybersecurity policies, um, you know, in in our setting, can you give us a little bit of background about? you know, what your process is and also, you know, what things from both a legal perspective, as well as a business perspective, you need, you consider when you're developing policies for, for FSG? Um, well, I usually, you know, I, I've never advised the client or been 
a client where there hasn't been some policy in place already, right? So usually we're not starting from from scratch. We're building off of something. Um, and so we're careful about, you know, how we update things um, because it does usually take a fair, fair amount of effort um, and it involves a lot of a lot of input. So um, the, the process, at least for me, is, is fairly simple, but actually rolling it out takes some time. Um, you look at what you have, you look at what you're doing <laughs> and are those things the same, right? And um, oftentimes they're not, right? Our practices evolve because our businesses evolve. Um, um, and often, so the, the easiest update is to make sure that we are, that our policies reflect what, you know, compliance with like patchwork regime now that we have on, on data practice, on data security. Let's it's like, what terminology do we use? Right. So, but, but compliance for, from the lawyer's perspective is, well, are we complying? Does this look, um, does this say what it should be saying? Are we complying with, with applicable law? Then is it, is this, does this actually reflect what we're doing? Right. And so you have to actually work with your, your functional groups to see what it is that they're doing. That takes time. Um, and even though we try and, and foster and maintain an open culture with respect to, to data security and all things data, you know, people react very differently um, when they get these questions, right? Especially when legal comes to visit them with these questions, there's a little bit of concern. And so we, we really do try and, you know, not just visit this, you know, this, this question once a year, but constantly be in communication with our teams as to like, well, what are you guys doing? What are your concerns? What are you seeing? Right. How can we help? Um, you know, I, I hate to be the person that just kind of pops up when there's an incident and we need to do our run through our incident response protocols. Right. You, you want to understand what each functional group is doing. So that does involve, um, you know, a sort of constant checking in, not constant, but periodic checking in to make sure that you understand how that business function is, is, is running. Um, and then we essentially, we try and assemble a small team with, with like the right, the right people, right. From both information technology, from executive management, from HR is usually involved as well. Um, and we draft, we review different drafts, we take input, we take comments, and um, we involve outside counsel as well. I like involving outside counsel, um, particularly because they're on the front lines, right? You're seeing the same question played out in 15 different ways in one week. Um, so you're an invaluable resource for, for us and just seeing like, well, does this look like what you're seeing with your clients? Um, does this look like it's appropriate for a company of my size in my industry. Um, and then and we go from there, right? And then it just goes through the channels for approval internally and we roll it out. And by the time that's done, you need to start again, right? <laughs> because this takes time and you're, you should be updating your, your policies internal and, and, and externally facing on an annual basis. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but you should be doing this if not annual, annually at a minimum, right? Like this is, um, and every time new legislation comes through, comes through the works and, and it applies to your business, you need to respond, to, you know, promptly. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how Absolutely. it works. And I'm curious, you know, because, you know, obviously you're working in a, um, in a smaller group, 
um, than maybe what John's doing. But are you able to communicate with um, in-house attorneys, maybe on other teams on or um, and talk and understand maybe what what they're doing and, and maybe taking something from that? In other in other companies or just in, in our organization? Like sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, maybe like the New York Yankees out outside um, in-house counsel. I, I don't know how much experience you have with them, but I'm, I'm just curious if you have any conversations yeah. with them and kind of yeah. understand what they were doing and maybe take something from that. So you're, you're talking Boston and the Yankees. You're <laughs> <serious>. <laughs> oh, See, this, it's a well-kept secret. All club counsel are friends. So um, <laughs> we actually, we, we do, we, we, we leverage the resources that our leagues provide as much as we can, right? Our, the, le- the leagues are great. They're, they really are in front of this issue um, and they're there for us and they keep telling us they're there for us. And, and I hundred percent, will leverage the resources that my leagues are, are making available. So um, as far as, as, you know, checking in with, with other club council, we actually do have annual meetings where we get together and, and some of us have more than, we have more frequent meetings. Um, and this is absolutely, this is one of the topics that w- we devote time to, to share what each of the clubs are doing. Again, we often rely on the resources that our, that our leagues are making available to us. So there's, there's some synergies there, but Different clubs in, in different areas are, they also are, you know, trying different products, using different things. And to the extent, I mean, we're, some of us are very good. We, we have actually have a very good relationship and we'll pick up the phone and just ask, do you, do you have something like this? What do you, can you send me, a, do you have this template? Can I see, as far as negotiating contracts, we often use the same vendors. We also often use the same vendors that our, that our league uses too, right? So again, we leverage our, our experience with our vendors, we leverage our forms. Um, everybody has the battle of the forms and, you know, how, you know, how long is, how long are your infosec terms <laughs> compared to mine? And, um, you know, and it's understanding also how to pick your battles in, in negotiations. You don't, you don't have to win everyone. You don't have to get every, you know, all eight pages of your infosec terms in every single contract, right? It's understanding where the risk is and, and where it's, it's where you have to dig your, your heels in, but, but, you know, definitely sharing experiences with your peers as to what their, what their experience was with this partner. Um, that, that certainly helps, right? Cause that's the ultimate negotiating tool. Well, I understand you've agreed to this already. Right? So it's, <laughs> it's unfair, but it works. <laughs> That's great. John, for you being in a, a larger in-house environment, um, how do you leverage um, the resources that are available to you when it comes to developing these types of policies? Yeah. Um, first of all, I'll just echo pretty much everything uh, Isir said, um, just generally. But um, you know, something she said that that I think is boils it down to the most sort of base level is knowing the risk, right? So for Schneider Electric, just for folks that, that don't know, um, and, and not a lot of people do, but we make everything from a surge protector through, you know, the software that might run an entire utility grid, right? So there's a real um, range of, of, uh, of product out there, and a lot of these products carry different risks. So I'll, I'll use an example for purposes of, um, you, you know, a limited example, but it would be, you know, in the customer context, right? If we're developing a policy, okay, what can or can we not agree to, um, you know, in a contract or should we not agree, you know, we advise on the risk and ultimately there's a, there's a business decision made. But if we're selling, for example, a gray box, you know, a metal box, there, there might be 
no cyber risk, right? Or extremely limited cyber risk in terms of what we would agree to relative to cybersecurity liability with our customer. You know, conversely, if that gray box has an ethernet port in it and it's either designed to be connected to the internet um, as most you know, products are these days, not only at Schneider, but just generally, right? Everything is IoT and that's what the customers sort of want generally, right? Which is, you know, harkens back to sort of some of the points that others have hit on earlier, which is the, the risk level is rising. I mean, everything that you sell at this point or that a lot, of, a lot of people sell, a lot of companies sell is connectable, right? It's the IoT and internet of things and everything is available on my on my smartphone, right? That I can control my whole industrial automation system from there. So that risk profile changes, right? So knowing the risk, um, and really understanding that, right? I mean, I, I won't speak for other counsel on on the on the call, but you know, I'm not the most technical person, and really do need to rely on sort of the expertise of both, you know, the business the business stakeholder that might own the product, right? There's using the example I gave earlier. I mean, we have business stakeholders that sort of own the product that's a gray box, right? And they're selling that in their capacity, and they know the technical specifications. Um, and, and requirements and risk related to that. And then there's different business stakeholders that are selling you know, software that carries a whole different level of risk, right? And then there's another um, you know, group or several groups in Schneider's case that might come in, which is you know, your PATS or your really cybersecurity technical uh, expert, uh, experts, subject matter experts. So sort of relying on the, um, the input from those various subject matter experts to sort of inform, okay, to, to paint that picture. What is the risk? Okay, and then how do we address it? So what does this policy look like? And, you know, Isir mentioned as well, you know, we're not often developing policies. You know, I'd say the same thing at Schneider. It's not that the legal department is developing it, but given the size of our company, we do need to develop policies that, you know, it's not always a one size fits all, unfortunately, and particularly in the cybersecurity perspective. I mean, just giving the you know, the example or going back to the example I, I just gave, right, it could really vary the risk profile and knowing that risk, you know, with one product versus another product, right? And that's just in the product context. And of course, there's the enterprise, you know, your own cybersecurity as well, right? And so how are you procuring uh, whatever it may be? It could be anything from a, you know, forklift to software that runs an entire, you know, same thing. We're now procuring software that is, you know, hosting all of our cloud solution, right? So how do you manage that risk profile? So again, it's sort of knowing the risk, it's a holistic, you know, cross-functional collaboration. Sorry to use that term again, but but, um, and then from there, sort of, uh, you know, developing, okay, well, we're selling a gray metal box. We can accept, you know, that we that, that the customer uh, will not, you know, agree to, for example, affirmative cybersecurity obligations. That would be something we might want to ask for in a different context, right? If we're selling something that is connectable and designed to be online, we might ask a customer, you know, via informed via our policy on, on the topic, that you know, you customer need to take on some cybersecurity uh, obligations, right? This product can only be you know behind a firewall, right? It can't be operated on the open internet. Um, you know, patching and updating, right? How does how do vulnerabilities get patched and updated, and who owns the liability there? So um, again, I, I guess I, I really liked what Isir said about knowing the risk, and I think that that's the the starting point, and then it's going to just really vary depending on you know a the size of your company, b what you're selling. You know, and an extension of that, see what you might be, you know, leveraging for your own internal consumption as well, because the risks are still there. They might just be in a slightly different uh, context. Pat, how does, how does John leverage you to kind of understand that risk and, and, and really the things to focus on? 
Well, one of the things I was going to do is I was going to mention one more risk that that we I, so John and I are always locked at the hip. We're, we're you know uh, we're, we're, we 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 work together. <laughs> we work together quite a bit, uh, and and it started you know it, it it you know seven years ago almost almost eight years ago when I joined here, and you know it was always fun to work. I've always worked closely with legal. They're my most important stakeholder when it comes to to a lot of what I do uh, to be successful and and to help the under the business understand. The risk, uh, you know, John helps me a lot. But one one risk that we didn't talk about yet is a geopolitical risk that also makes it to our policies, especially in a global company like Schneider Electric uh, that makes products, sources globally. So then you have your supply chain risk, uh, and then you also have your 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 business risk in that you know we're in Russia, we're in China, and we were in Russia, uh, you know, with the with the war in the Ukraine. Uh, you know, we like many companies altered our business, uh, and we 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 chose to to uh, to sell it uh, after being there for sixty years. Uh, but uh, we also have extensive business in in Asia, uh, and you know, in the United States and Asia, you know, there's been many many executive orders coming coming out from the president on on the energy grid, for instance, uh, supply chain issues, buying you know who who you can buy from, who you can't buy from. Uh, or should, should say who you can't buy from, uh, and 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 our customers are all demanding. You know, are we compliant with these laws? And uh, you know, so John helps me answer those those inquiries. Uh, so and and inform the business on what you know. We have policy people that also inform the business, keep track of laws that are being enacted in draft form, and and before, you know, ideally before before they're they're enacted we we all try to you know understand what's 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 on the horizon and John and and his team look at those as well and 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 lend a lend an opinion and help form you know formulate quite frankly the, the policy in these governments but uh that that's that's just another area where the legal team is is vital uh but John John you know when it comes to the the third party risk we're we're, we're lockstep you know when it comes to procurement and and the policies around procurement and again those are a lot those are impacted heavily from the the, the geopolitical risks. Uh, our, our third party risk and procurement policies are are you know as, are an area that I, I work a lot with John in, and quite frankly, responding to customer inquiries about our compliance with with these laws. Uh, I get several hundred inquiries a year. Uh, typically, you know, after you receive the first few, it's the same question over and over, but then you get different variations of that question. Uh, so, so John's, uh, John's vital in that area as well, but, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a changing land, landscape. The U S is very complex. Securities become very complex. Uh, and if you're a global company complying with it, if you're a manufacturer, uh, it's, it's, uh, especially doing business with, with the U S government or other, any other government and people who do business with the governments, uh, because again, it's with the third party supply chain and the risk, you know, we we might have work with a prime contractor that the end user is the U.S. government. So we have we have we have to respond to a lot of different inquiries from you know the government directly as well as those that that work with the government. So um, challenging times, but fun. Uh, makes and 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 to to the point, you know, security is not a competitive business, just like legal. We work together with, you know, I work with our competitors in security. Uh, we, we we consult with each other uh, because the bad guys aren't us. The bad guys are the ones that are coming after our data. The bad guys are coming after our customer data and our network. 
So the security teams with legal, we all work together to put the, you know, to unify and, and, and ideally protect our, our interest, uh, the company's interest and, and, and our shareholders. Great. I just want to give my two cents on there. I apologize. No, no, no. We appreciate <laughs> it's, it's, it. Again, it's, it's, Security really is it's not a it's not a competitive sport. It's 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 very collaborative. Absolutely. And I think it, you know, part of you know, certainly what you know you see in you know just a negotiation standpoint, like in a commercial deal, is that you know, it's not about you know ensuring that hey, you're gonna necessarily win win an argument there, but you just want to you know ensure that they have the right you know, security health to be able to provide you the services that, you know, if you're going to provide, be giving your data to a, to a vendor, that, that information is going to be, be protected. Um, it's, it's not about winning and losing. It's just ensuring that, that everything is safe. Um, you know, John, I think Isir hit on a really interesting point, um, you know, in terms of just about, um, you know, updating your policies in, you know, that in doing so really on, on an annual basis. And, you know, what we've seen, you know, obviously the, um, you know, the new California law that just went into effect um, on Jan 1, as well as the Virginia law and, you know, the Colorado law that's going to go into effect, uh, I believe either in June or July of this year, that, you know, particularly in the United States, what we're seeing is just this on an annual basis, more and more states are, you know, modifying um, their their data privacy laws um, to not necessarily be in complete lockstep with with what was already you know um, established with GDPR back in 2018, but at the very least they're doing more than the bare minimum, which has existed for a long time. How do you keep up with those trends um, and then implement um, those changes of law into um, your organization? Yeah, no, I mean, and it, and a lot of what's just been discussed, Jesse, both that question and sort of what Pat was heading on with the geopolitical uh, considerations is is really just highlighting sort of the breadth of all the different facets of, of cybersecurity concern and risk, um, you know, and it, and it really is, you know, kind of can be overwhelming. Um, but I'll take your sort of questions, I guess, backwards and and in both in both uh instances, you know, Schneider Electric is and other companies of our size, so you generally have the luxury that there are, um, you know, there are organizations within our organization that sort of manage infrastructure that is, you know, critical to, um, to like, you know, at a high level policies and extension of that would be training and uh, monitoring and other, other, um, you know, elements of, of how those policies are facilitated. But I think, you know, having that infrastructure in place, if you're even if it's just a very small company, but having an infrastructure in place for how a policy sort of gets reviewed and updated um, and, and, you know, and, and communicated, right? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, legal is just a single stakeholder. You know, the, the CISO group is a single, you know, stakeholder, um, you know, very high level, obviously, there's multiple stakeholders. But, um, you know, ultimate business execution, right? I mean, you're buying and selling and there's a lot of uh, different, you know, people and, and organizations that can be involved with that. So communicating, you know, policy updates, um, or new policies or, you know, reiterating, you know, training, right? Training's a big one, sort of training stakeholders. I mean, at, at Schneider Electric, for example, we have 140,000 employees. And I would say that, you know, the vast majority of those are not, you know, cybersecurity technical experts. They're serving support functions for the company. They're, you know, sales, service, 
um, all sorts of things like that. So having the infrastructure in place to get to your you know, target audience within your organization to say, you know, here's this policy, here's what it means, here's what you need to do, and sort of um, getting that out there. Because what we've seen, you know, not just Schneider, but many, many companies, organizations, governments, et cetera, if you take a bottom-down or excuse me, a bottom-up approach, I mean, you can run into trouble, right? I mean, if if the if the if the whatever the concern might be, in this case the cybersecurity concern or um, you know, uh, topic to be aware of is not being communicated in the correct fashion, right? It gets to the wrong place at the wrong level or it doesn't get anywhere, period. Then you run into, you know, risk. You have the best policy in the world, but it doesn't matter if, you know, people aren't aware and enacting and following it, right? So again, that's really um, the importance of infrastructure. You know, in our organization, that's not necessarily driven by legal. You know, fortunately, we have stakeholders that it is just their sort of, you know, it's governance, right? It's governance of and compliance with our own, you know, both external and internal policies, you know, rules, regulations, et cetera. Um, and then just briefly too, on how do you, you know, stay on top of it again, another luxury that we have, you know, at our company is we have stakeholders who are monitoring sort of new legislation, right? And if there is a new cybersecurity law that's pending, you know, they'll, they'll come to us and, you know, hey, here's what's coming down the pipe. Um, you know, how do we, how do we respond, right? And that's where legal would support, um, you know, the updating or drafting um, of, a, of a policy. And then again, making sure that we have that infrastructure in place uh, as a company, you know, not necessarily as, as legal, as a company to make sure that it's distributed to the appropriate audience, enacted, followed, can be updated, you know, training, et cetera. So it's a whole, I, I almost view it as a logistical challenge um, or maybe not challenge, but consideration that needs to be uh, in place, having that kind of infrastructure. I was just going to add one point. One thing that we do, and and you have to make all your policies available to anybody who's on your internet or anybody that's on your network. So we literally, from our homepage and our internet, two clicks are you're you're at our policies, and and it's at the very top, the very first one of the very first buttons up upper left is is next to the next to the click that brings you back to the homepage. It says security, and uh, so. Making your policies accessible to everyone is really important. You know, burying them somewhere and not making making them as accessible is is not as is friendly. And then anything over three clicks, they're going to stop. So two clicks, that's where, that's where you can get to the policies, and and uh, so that that's what I would recommend as well. Make them readable, right? Yes, you English. They're English. Them, you can't make them too legal. I hate to use that word because we always try to draft for ease, but. Um, you you know there are different ways of of drafting policies. You, they can look different ways, and the more accessible they are to your employees, like the more likely it is that they'll read them. Right. Beyond that, though, you also have to do a little. You also do a little internal diligence to make sure that people, at least, that you're telling them you should be looking at this on a periodic basis. Right. And so that's where the training comes in. Um, and there's a lot. There are a lot of products out there to make um, communicating with your employees. Funny, even just to um, we have we have one that's actually I love this product and it just sends out these little snippets periodically that you do actually have it keeps track of who's watching them and everything like that and um, but it it'll focus on something like phishing emails right and how to help protect um, you know best practices for that but it's like a periodic thing that's more lighthearted and yet drives the point home in addition also having 
um, more sort of deeper dive training sessions. And they don't have to be like organization wide things, right. Where there's like, you know, hundreds of people in a room. I, I think that they're actually more effective when they're in smaller groups and targeted really to what that business unit is, is doing and what their vulnerability is. That's a great point. If you don't mind my jumping in, just that last point you made uh, is here about, you know, it's, it goes back to what you said earlier of, of knowing the risk, right? So there might be enterprise level, uh, you know, policies that might need to be in place, right? Making sure, like Pat said, that those are communicated and trained appropriately for the audience, but it might vary again for that, you know, trying to tie it to my example earlier about different product sets that might be sold, right? I mean, it, it might be different risk profile for that, for that audience, that, that, uh, that, business unit or stakeholder group, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that might inform a policy that might apply to them, et cetera. Um, so I just think that's a, that's a great point you, you just made there. Um, because I, again, it's not always one size fits all. I mean, I think at the highest level, cybersecurity generally really is. I mean, in the sense that you're trying to understand and manage your risk, right? Highest level um, and mitigate that risk. Uh, but then of course, there's like anything else, many different layers to the onion, I suppose, uh, that might require different policies and then different policies to be implemented in different ways, right? Like secure by design, for example, uh, there might be different uh, groups that might leverage that kind of thing, uh, that kind of policy, right? What is What does this product have to be designed at versus, you know, a, a different product? But um, it's a great point. So for our last subtopic, oh, there we go. For our last uh, nine minutes here, we just want to kind of talk about it. And, and I know it's sort of been a running thread throughout, but just sort of the ongoing management of, of those cybersecurity policies. Um, is there any anything, Isir, and, and I'll turn it to you, that you want maybe want to just kind of speak about holistically about, you know, what what you do that's successful for kind of that, that ongoing management within your in your organization? Well, I mean, I think, I don't think it's anything that I do, that I myself do, but I think that that my team um, does, is we prioritize this, right? And and so, you know, one of the things, we're lucky that we have um, management and ownership that also makes this a priority. And, and they're interested in how we as, as an organization, especially as our organization grows, and it's been growing over the last couple of years um, in, in two other you know, business units as well. You're not just the baseball team, right? So, um, but we have an ownership that's actually very interested in this. And, and so what, what are we doing to, to protect the organization? How are we integrating our new businesses? What are they doing? How can we improve? Um, and so I think one of the, one of the things that, that our legal team does very well is making sure that when there are, when, when ownership meets, right, that, that this is being relayed to them, right? What efforts has the organization taken? What are the challenges that we are facing? How is this landscape changing? And of course, there's a lot on their agenda when, when they meet, but making sure that this stays on everyone's radar and that they're aware of what we're doing as an, as an organization, that, that we're on this. Um, and I think that's actually really important, right? So it doesn't get lost in, in, in other sort of business demands. Um, and the leagues obviously are, are great at this as well. Um, but prioritizing it. And, 
And it does have sort of a, a trickle-down approach too, right? If, if ownership is interested in this, management is interested in this, everyone is interested in this. It makes, us, it, makes it easier for us, for us to really foment this culture of openness that we're, we really are all working on this together. This is a risk that affects all of us. It's no one's fault, right? When these, when these incidents happen, like there's not really someone to blame. Um, these things happen. They will continue to happen. So how can we work together to train everyone so that they're aware of what best practices are? What should I be doing? Right. Um, improve ourselves, right. Our incident response team, you know, we have, um, we have a playbook. We've been working on a playbook to really kind of standardize as much as we can our responses um, so that we can respond more efficiently, right? So that we have consistency in our approach. And, and this also drives our policies, right? It, it spills over into that because now we're establishing, um, you know, how we prioritized our data security spills over into everything, into everything else. Um, other things that we've done that that you know have helped but but again these these take up resources and and again it's, it's money and it's people it's not always you know possible to do this but you know we've we've done some data mapping and and just to get a handle as to like where does data reside right because because it's hard to understand where your vulnerabilities are sometimes or especially as your organization is growing and so understanding like what your practices have been having a goal as to where you want your practices to be, your data practices to be, um, or data hygiene. Sometimes people call it data hygiene. That was the first time I had heard it actually in our internal discussions, <laughs> but in preparation for this meeting, um, I liked that word. Um, and then as we integrate new businesses, it's easier then, right? Because you understand how you work. And so it's easier than to meet in the middle somewhere, right? And to understand how your new business works, like how is it that we can improve one another's practices? How can we leverage one another's experience? Um, but again, data mapping, not an, not an easy task to undertake and, and um, not always available for everyone. Um, what else, what else? Um, we, again, I, I can't stress this enough. Like we, we try and work with our outside counsel, meet with them periodically. Yes, we will call Reese at Morgan Lewis <laughs> on a, on a, more often than I think Reese wants us to. But, <laughs> but um, to to you know do do a sanity check um, be, because at legal. I mean, I know what my limitations are, and I'm very curious as to what our experts are seeing. Right? That hey, this is what we're doing. We understand this is on the horizon. Right? the um, effectiveness, effectiveness of these new uh, regs, which may or may not impact us, some impact us more than others. Um, what are you seeing as far as, as you know, how our business is pivoting um, to address compliance? Um, and hey, what else can you recommend? And, and, and again, we don't do that all the time, but, but we try and do that pretty periodically, right? Just to stay abreast of things. Um, and then we ourselves and on the legal team, you know, we try and subscribe to, you know, you know, we, we stay on top of like law firm blasts and, you know, just to see like, okay, so what's coming, keep us informed um, because we need to stay informed. Right. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's sort of, that's sort of it. Um, but management of these things, I, anything you can use to help you manage anything is, is a great tool. Um, but I think just prioritizing it, staying on top of it, leveraging your resources, including your, your outside counsel. If you don't have um, 
a large enough team, right? It sounds like at, Sch- at Schneider, you have the benefit of having all these resources. That's, that's wonderful. Um, um, but, but making sure that it always stays a priority as, as far as your, your work for your organization. Yeah, I'm just going to add and, and dovetail that. You know, we have two sets of records. Not, not like to, it's not like having two sets of books. We have two sets of records, though. We have a high-level policy, which, which you change on an annual basis, and that's supported by a standards document, depending on, 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 uh, on, on, on the policy itself. So the standards you can change, you know, the expert, so to speak, can change the standards document, which flows up to the policy at any time. OK, so if you change, if, if a new law comes into play or something like that, work with John and we and we and we and we change the policy, we change the standard as opposed to the policy. So leave the you know, we try to leave the policy alone. We try to leave that uh, broad enough, so to speak, to 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 encompass you know, what we're trying to achieve. And then the standards, which we also publish, uh, are 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 the doc is the document that as the nuances change, whether it's a security tool or a law, then we change the policy. Then we change the the standard to provide guidance to the employees and and those that need it to 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 how to um, how, how to respond to to maybe new legislation or something like that. Yeah, and I'll just throw on very quickly at the end. Um, I think. Pat and Isir hit on it as well, but just lessons learned, right? And particularly in like the incident response context, right? I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's sort of doing the best they can. You try it, you know, you hope for the best, you hope for the best, plan for the worst, or at least like that's sort of the motto I, that I go by often. But, uh, you know, things happen, right? And particularly in the incident response context, as threat actors become more sophisticated, uh, more prevalent, more aggressive, et cetera, et cetera, right? I mean, you know, you're never going to have every single possible, you know, outcome covered for, but hopefully you have at least enough of a framework to appropriately uh, respond. But, you know, maybe the lessons learned in certain instances, and just using the example of incident response, would inform the management of that policy. And to Pat's point, you know, the entire policy doesn't necessarily change, but the standard might change or a step might be added, that kind of thing, right? So um, I hate to say, like, lessons learned, like perhaps something bad happened, but, you know, stuff happens, right? And you have to react to that and just sort of do the best you can to move forward and integrate that, um, you know, so you're better prepared for the next the next challenge, incident response or updated new legislation, whatever it may be. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I think we need to stop there. Um, I want to thank, you know, our three panelists uh, for taking the time to join us today and, you know, provide what I think was really a great discussion. Um, I want to thank all the attendees and I want to thank the Boston Bar Association um, for helping to put this on. Uh, so thank you very much for attending and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, John. Thank, thank you, everybody. You. Have a great day. Thank you.